Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. God bless you, Day Spring. Blessed are you wherever you may be in this evening. You know, it is a beautiful night. And uh, when God speaks to your heart, it becomes an even better night. And that is the desire of our hearts today, to give you a word that will encourage you, a word that will just uh, bring some cheer into your life in the midst of this turmoil in our world today. Uh, I have always been intrigued by God's amazing power. How can our God have the capability of omnipotence? How can He not be limited by time, by space, or by matter? How can our God know all things? These are questions that have always intrigued me. And uh, I will not deal with all these questions today, but I would like to reflect on the supernatural power of God, hoping that it will give you encouragement. If you have God's word with you, I want you to go please to the book of John, chapter 20, and let's read verses 30 and 31. John 20, verses 30 and 31. And the word of the Lord says this way, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Praise the Lord. That was John's desire and purpose in writing his book. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God. Lord, we ask for your anointing, your power, God, to go over the airwaves, God, and just touch people, wherever they may be, Father. We are asking for a manifestation of your spirit. Touch my lips, God, as you did with Isaiah, God, and let your word go forth uninhibited by the power of your spirit, God. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. What is a miracle for me is not a miracle for God. It is a miracle for me because I simply can't explain it. But when you look at a miracle, God can always explain it. In fact, if you can understand this, there are no miracles for God. Why? Because nothing is a miracle to God. What is a miracle for man, it is a sign for God. There are many, many things that man cannot do. But God can do them, and He can do them without any great effort. Uh, the, the, The realm of miracles is the realm of God. But He moves in this order like nothing. He just moves. He just is. Because that is who he is. He moves naturally in the realm of miracles. And doing wonderful things is natural for God, although supernatural for man. The problem is that we think that miracles define God. And we say, God is great. He did a great miracle for me. And the moment we say that, 
He comes out and he does a greater miracle. And then we say, I did not know God. He did a greater miracle than I thought he could do. And when we say that, God comes out then and he does an even greater miracle. And at the end of the process, we have to conclude that no miracle defines God. God is infinitely greater than the miracle he does. Why is God greater than his miracles? Well, because miracles occur in matter, in space, in a period of time. Who created matter? God did. Who made space? God did. Who created time? God did. Just as the creator of something is greater than the something, and God created matter, space, and time, then God is greater than these, and therefore greater than the miracles that occur in such a lower order. Listen carefully. The Bible opens like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there is time. God created, there is matter. The heavens and the earth, there is space. And since God, since God is outside of time, in other words, he doesn't go by Kronos, he goes by Kairos. And he is outside of matter. In other words, he is an incorporeal being. And he's outside of space because he's omnipresent. He is therefore greater than all miracles. This is being supernatural. And anyone that trusts in this living God, let me tell you, all things are possible to that person. I love the book of John. This book was written to prove that Jesus was actually the Son of God or the Messiah. Therefore, it is written from God's point of view. In this book, the miracles of Jesus are not called miracles. If you look, you will see that they're actually called signs. Again, because this book was written from God's point of view. And remember, for God, there are no miracles. And I am going to talk to you about three reasons why I believe that a sign from God actually becomes a miracle to man. I believe it's going to bless you. I believe it's going to encourage you. And I believe that at the end of this message, you will trust your God even more. The first reason why a sign from God becomes a miracle for man is the impossibility of comprehension. Let's see. How do you understand this? Look what the word says. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. My question to you is, how? God just spoke. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. Please understand that I do not understand this. Where was the electrical outlet? Where was the plug for electricity to come? Look at verse number 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. I want you to notice, seeds were not made yet, but God speaks to the ground and grass comes upon the earth. Please explain that to me, how without seed there could be grass growing on the earth. Seeds were not available yet. Please explain it to me. 
Genesis 1.14, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars by simply speaking. If you know the magnitude of the sun and the magnitude of the earth and the stars, uh, let me ask you, how is it possible that our God could just make these by speaking? Genesis 1.21, that God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. My question is, how? How can God speak to the waters and the waters create fish and create birds? I just don't understand that. I cannot comprehend it with my own brain. Genesis 1.24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Let me ask you this, how do you understand this? God spoke to the ground, and from the ground, living creatures came up. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then Genesis 2.7. Then Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground. Let me ask you this. How did God create man from the dust of the ground? You know, if you give me dirt and dust and I start playing with it, at the end of it all, I come out dusty. That is all that happens. But God was able to create Man from the dirt. I want to make a parenthesis here because there is a lesson here. When God wanted to create fish, he spoke to the water, the medium of survival for the fish to become. When he wanted to create plants, he spoke to the ground for the ground to create plants. Notice that he spoke to the medium of survival. But when he wanted to create man, who did God speak to? Did he speak to the heavens? Did he speak to the stars? Did he speak to the dirt? Did he speak to water? No. When God wanted to create man, he spoke to himself. Mm, mm. Listen, when we were made, God spoke to himself. In other words, the medium of living for man is actually God. Notice something. When you remove fish from water, the fish dies. When you remove a plant from the ground, the plant dies. And when you remove man from God, man dies. Hallelujah. Because the medium of survival for man is actually God. Pray, pray, praise be his name. Genesis 2.7 says, And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. My question is, how? Why? Because what comes out of the nostrils of a man is actually carbon dioxide, which is death. But God actually exhaled into man and he actually became a living being. So a man's exhale is death, yet God exhales and life comes about. I don't understand you. I don't, I don't understand this. You know, I, I wish I could not be able to bore you with many details, but please explain this to me. What was Cain's mark? Explain it to me. How did Abel, Abel's blood speak from the ground? How did God reveal to Enoch 
that his son Methuselah would actually die in the same year that the flood would come on the earth. Please answer me. How did the animals come to Noah's ark? How did God confuse the tongues of Babel? How did Abraham believe God? The Bible says that he went without seeing, without knowing, and he just left by faith. How did that happen? How was Sarah's womb opened? You see, no doubt we have the impossibility of comprehension. Now, I don't want to bore you anymore. Explain this to me, please. How did fire and brimstone rain from heaven? Please explain to me how is it that Eliezer prayed and Rebecca arrived first? How did Isaac not notice Jacob when he pretended to be Esau? This I don't understand. If you have children, you would know. Let me tell you, how does Jacob go straight to Rachel? This is incomprehensible that he goes to Canaan, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he finds Rachel almost straight. How was she born with stripes and then without stripes when Jacob wanted? Please let me know, how did Esau not kill Jacob? How did Tamar deceive Judah and did not know that it was actually Tamar that night? Brethren, I don't want to bore you, but please explain to me, how did Joseph's brothers not recognize him? How is it that Joseph forgave his brothers? Why did Jacob cross his hands when he was blessing Manasseh and Ephraim? And actually from Ephraim, where he was the youngest and the right hand of Jacob fell on him, actually Joshua came from that line. Please explain to me the plagues of the Exodus. I do not want to continue. But we must recognize that man has the impossibility of comprehension. And this is why a sign from God is actually a miracle to man. I could stop here because I'm only in Exodus. But you know what? There are many more examples in the Bible that I could use. Isn't it great that we don't need to know how God does things? But all that we have to do is just trust Him. You know, maybe today you have a word from God. Maybe today you have a prophecy in your bosom. Maybe today there is a, a word from the scripture that God has given you. And maybe you are believing in faith. And maybe you say, how could this be? How, how is it possible? How could this happen? But let me tell you, you do not need to know how it's going to happen. You just need to trust in the God that is amazing and he's able to do it immeasurably more than you can think or imagine you don't need to know how the walls of Jericho will fall down all you have to do is shout blessed be the name of the Lord I remember in 1992 I started bleeding from the inside when I would go to the restroom there was a pool of blood on the toilet and the doctor said you have ulcerative colitis in about 10 years, you're going to die. I was 22 at the time, and 10 years would put me at 32. And I told the Lord, God, no, please heal me. And let me tell you, I went to the Lord for healing. I was taking a medication for the better part of 10 years. And uh, I believed that God would heal me. 
at the end of 2001, around that time, the doctors came to me and he said, after a colonoscopy, you have nothing in your colon. Your colon is like the colon of a baby. And I am here to tell you, let me, let me just tell you this. I don't know how God healed me. And I don't need to know how God healed me. But all I got to tell you is that when you trust in the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is able to come through for you. So don't pretend to understand everything about God. Just trust him. Hallelujah. Just trust him and he, he, see his power and his might on your behalf. How many say amen? Tell your neighbor wherever you are. Can you explain this to me? Come on. Tell your neighbor, can you explain this to me? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You see, God is unexplainable. There's a second reason why a sign from God becomes a miracle for man. And that is because of the impossibility of description. If a sign could be understood, it could be defined. And if it could be defined, it could be described. But if it could be described, it would no longer be a sign. That's why it is a miracle. Since man cannot describe even 1% of God, and even that 1% is a high number, we are happy when God is the one who does the description. If I were to ask you, and I needed a precise definition of who God is, there are some things that we could explain, but others we wouldn't be able to explain them. John, however, lets Jesus describes, describe himself, and for that we are very thankful. John gives us seven I am's of Christ, and these I am's go beyond man's best descriptions. For example, the first I am is in John 6, 32 and 35. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let me ask you this. Do you think man could have described survival like this? Second I am is in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Do you think man could have described the significance like this? The third I am is John 10, 7 and 9. Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheep. Do you think that man could have described salvation like this? The fourth I am is John 11, John 10, 11 and 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Do you think man could have described his provision and his protection like this? In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you think man could have described, described victory over death like this? The sixth I am. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you think that man could have described existence like this? The seventh I am is John 15, 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Do you think that man could have described our essence like this? The answer is no, we could not describe it that way. I don't think so. When God speaks, man takes dictation. Hallelujah. So man cannot understand or describe the signs of God. And they become miracles. They are very high for the finite mind of man. The power of God 
which created the universe and part of the sea has been changing lives since the beginning of time. Having seen a fraction of that in his own life, Job exclaimed, who can understand it? The Bible speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power. Ephesians 1.19 and the excellence of the power, 2 Corinthians 4.7. You see, this power is definitely indescribable. Power is the very essence of God. It is in His divine nature. God's absolute power along with His absolute authority enables the Lord to do whatever He pleases. I want to say that again, Psalm 115 and 3, 115, 3. The Bible says that God can do whatever He pleases without any limitation. Such limitless power is a foreign concept for humans as we, we even lack the willpower to overcome and break one single habit. And if this power is incomprehensible, then it is also indescribable. Tell your neighbor, can you explain or can you describe God's power to me? Can you? Please tell him. Can you explain? Can you describe God's power to me? You see, it is amazing that we can describe God or his miracles, but we still have a witness of him. That is amazing to me. John chapter 9 a blind man from birth is healed by Jesus. And when he is interviewed by the scribes and the Pharisees, they start asking him questions. Uh, who was he that healed you? And uh, how did he do it? Another question they had was, is he a sinner? But this man said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he is. I don't know his name. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. You see, many times people will mess with your theology, but they won't be able to mess with your testimony. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you, I may not be able to describe anything, but he healed me, and that is all that I know. Hallelujah. And in the same way, sometimes we cannot describe the things that God does, but let me tell you, we don't need to describe them because there is a God that is able to put definition upon what he does and he's able to intervene in our nature in our society in our milieu and environment and he's able to change it by the power of his spirit oh praise the Lord there's a third and final reason why a sign from God becomes a miracle for man. And that is the opposition to natural laws. Or at the very least, the standing outside of natural laws. When you look at the word miracle, miracle is a manifestation or event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. Many of God's miracles go against the natural rules that govern us. For example, there are certain patterns that men hope will not change in this natural environment. For example, anything that weighs more than the buoyancy level of water is expected to sink. 
If you throw something on water that is heavier than water, it is expected to sink. Everyone that dies is expected not to revive. Anyone that weighs more than air is not supposed to teleport. If something is vintage, by the very definition of vintage, it has a time factor invested in it. And it should not happen instantaneously. Otherwise, how can it be vintage? If something is moving, it is not expected to stop immediately. We do not expect an animal to speak. It is not natural for an animal to speak. We do not expect one to walk and scream and walls to come down. When the opposite occurs, we declare it a miracle. It has been said that the book of John has seven signs that Jesus gave that he was the Messiah. I think really there are eight, not seven, but eight, because the eighth is synonymous with a new pattern. And all of them, notice, all of these signs in the book of John violated natural laws. They went against natural laws, or at the very least, stood outside the realm or effect of natural law. Let's count them. The first sign of the sevens is the turning of water into wine. It happened in John 2, 11 through, John 2, 1 through 11. I'm sure you remember. Water was turned to wine in Cana of Galilee. This is the first of the sign. What is the opposition against natural law? Well, it's the time factor. Why? Because water went to wine without fermentation. Water went to wine without the element of time being invested in the water. Water should not turn into wine without time passing. In other words, there was an acceleration of time. The second sign is in John 4, 46 through 54. The healing of the royal officer's son at Capernaum. What is the opposition against natural law? Well, it is the distance factor. No doctor ever heals unless he's not in the presence of the patient. Now I want you to notice, this man was in Capernaum. Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. Yet the doctor said, he is healed. He is healed. The doctor was not with the patient, yet the patient got healed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The third sign is the healing of the paralyzed man from Bethesda. John 5, 1 through 15. What is the opposition against the natural law? That is that a 38-year-old man paralytic, paralytic should not get better. You know, if you are normal and you have an accident and you become shrunken or paralyzed, maybe through therapy you could get well. But it is not normal for a 38-year-old man that has been crippled and has muscular dystrophy for somehow to get better. When that happens, you see the amazing power of the Lord. The fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, 5 through 14. The opposition is that five loaves of bread and two fish should not feed 10,000 people. 
I'm sure you know that one. Number six, the healing of the man blind from birth. John 9, 1 through 7. What is the opposition against natural law? Well, hear me out. If the blindness is from birth, it should not have improved. In other words, this man did not have the faculty to see. In other words, if I am fine, I am alive and I can see, I have the faculty of vision. If I have an accident, something hits my head, maybe I lose my vision, but I have the faculty there and I could possibly get better. But a mind, a man that was born without the faculty to see, for him to see, that is an amazing miracle. And notice that Jesus did it just by using saliva and dirt. Since when saliva mixed with dirt heals a blind man. You see, when you look at the Old Testament, no person in the Old Testament was healed of blindness. Maybe you look at Gehazi. His eyes were open, but he wasn't healed of blindness. Do you know why? Because healing a blind man was actually one of the signs of being the Messiah. That's why in the Old Testament, no man that was born blind was able to see until Jesus came on the scene. Isaiah 35 says that the Messiah would actually open the eyes of the blind. Hallelujah. Blessed be his name. The seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus in John 11, 1 through 45. What is the opposition against the laws of nature? Well, that naturally the dead should not resurrect. I'm sure you know that. They said, you know, the, the, the Jewish people and the leaders said that no man could ever resurrect after 72 hours of being dead. And I'm sure you know that Lazarus was dead for four days. You see, these same leaders had a certain understanding. They were going to measure the Messiah by four things. Number one, he had to heal a man born blind. Number two, he had to heal a deaf mute from birth. Number three, he had to heal a leper. And number four, he had to resurrect a dead person after four days. Well, here we go. He healed a man born blind in John 9. He healed a deaf mute from birth in Mark 7, 31 through 37. He healed a leper in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. There was one sign left for him to prove he was the Messiah. And that was to heal a man in the fourth day after being buried. If you remember the story, Jesus is out across the Jordan. When the emissaries from Mary and Martha come in saying, your, 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 your friend Lazarus is ill. You see, in that very moment, after the emissaries left, that Lazarus had died. And Jesus says that he stayed there two more days. That makes three. Notice that he stayed on purpose. So he could return on the fourth day. And he could actually resurrect Lazarus in the fourth day. To prove that he was the Messiah. <clears throat> amazing. If you ask me, this is amazing how Jesus did it. But you see, I believe there is an eighth sign in this book. And that is his own resurrection. Why is his own resurrection a sign? Because he was the first fruits and he is the first fruits of those who will resurrect. What is the opposition against natural law? Well, he resurrected into a new humanity. 
He resurrected with a body that could go through walls. Why was Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection if he had healed Lazarus? He had resurrected Lazarus. Well, you see, when Lazarus resurrected, he was resurrected to die again. But when Jesus resurrected, he resurrected never to die again. Blessing to the name of the Lord. He was truly the first fruits of the resurrection. There are many more miracles that go in opposition to nature. Can you please explain to me how the Red Sea opens? <coughs> please explain that to me. Can you please explain to me how the Jordan opens? The Bible says that at that time, the Jordan was actually overflowing. So the Jordan wasn't a normal river. It was actually overflowing from its banks. Yet God stopped it. That is an amazing miracle. And he did it on the 10th of Nisan. If you look at the book of Joshua, the 10th of Nisan, which is the same day of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That is amazing. How did Balaam's donkey speak? Can you please explain it to me? How did Joshua pray and the sun stops for 23 hours and 40 minutes? Please explain to me when Jesus says, uh, don't touch me after the resurrection. I have not ascended to the Father. Yet that night, he lets Thomas put his hand on his side to prove that he was the Messiah, that he was Jesus. You know how it happened? In that morning, he teleported to the heavenlies and he was accepted as the high priest. And that very night, he came down. Please explain it to me how that's possible. The Jews screamed and the walls of Jericho fell down. Please explain to me the widow of Sarepta. She gives her last little bit to the prophet, yet she did not die. Please explain to me the miracle to the wife of the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 4. She had a little bit of oil, but the prophet said, shut the door behind you and start pouring. And the Bible says that the oil kept flowing. Explain that to me. Explain to me how the axe floated in 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me tell you, there are thousands. How did David beat Goliath? The rock or the stone went through the only opening in, in, his, in, in Goliath's helmet. How did Daniel survive in the lion's den? You see, it wasn't Daniel in the lion's den. It was the lions in Daniel's den. Hallelujah. Bendito el nombre del Señor. How is it possible that Gideon's 300 beat 135,000 Midianites? The odds are one Jew for 450 Midianites. How did that happen? Have you ever seen a talking tree? Please, if you have seen one, I want to go see it. But the Bible says in Exodus 3 that the bush of Moses spoke. How was Haman killed in his own gallows? gallows. There are many miracles. And there are miracles to us. But there are signs to God. Why? Because God can understand them. God can describe them. And he is the Lord over, over nature. All of these miracles should lead us to God. 
The question is then, how can we operate in the supernatural power of God? You need to know one thing. In order to operate in this supernatural power of God, you need to live, you need to hang, you need to breathe the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit has to be your passion in the morning, passion in the afternoon, and passion in the night. Let me tell you, when you walk with the Holy Spirit and He indwells you with power, there, is a, there are supernatural manifestations of His glory as Acts 1.8 says. So the first thing you need to know, it's that it's by the Spirit of God. But first, you need to cultivate God's presence in your life. You need to walk with Him. You need to rise up and be with Him. You need to have a day in which you walk with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you need to cultivate the faith of God in your heart. You see, when you walk with the Spirit, when you engage the Word, when you engage a life of obedience, there is something that rises within you and the faith of God grows in your heart. But in that moment, number three, you need to add action to your faith. You see, the anointing of power comes for a reason and has a purpose. Isaiah 61 and 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach, notice, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captains and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim, notice again, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to, cons to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want you to notice something. The anointing comes with a purpose. The anointing comes for a reason. Notice that Jesus was anointed to preach, to proclaim, to comfort, to console, and to give. In other words, the power of God comes to do something. Therefore, the anointing of power for healing of, and miracles will manifest only if you seek ill people upon which to put your hands and believe in faith. Let me tell you, John 20, 30 through 31, as I conclude, says this. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life. All these signs from God's viewpoint or miracles from our standpoint should lead us into the one who creates them. As I conclude today, you know, we are living in times of turmoil. But I believe with all my heart that the last verse of Mark has an amazing teaching. The Bible says in that verse, and I quote, not verbatim, but the, the, it says that they went out and preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. The Lord working with them 
the Lord working with them. You see, when the Lord works with you, there are signs and wonders. The supernatural power of God is able to flow and touch society. And it also says that God confirmed His word by the signs that He made. You see, I believe that we are called to live in this manner. And my challenge to Day spring. My challenge to all the church today is that we may go out everywhere preaching the word of God. Because as we do that, I believe God is going to help us to see signs and wonders. And not for the fact of seeing them, but for the fact of people being delivered out of their oppression and their affliction. I want to pray for you today. Maybe you are in a situation in which it all seems cloudy and you can put one and one together and you're going through a time of disengagement from life. Maybe you're going through a season in which life does not make sense. But let me tell you, you do not need to comprehend things. You do not need to be able to describe things. Maybe things violate natural law in your realm. But let me tell you, in the midst of all that, all you need to do is trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. If you just trust in the Lord, you won't need to have any explanation. You won't need to know how God is going to do it. Why should you know how God is going to do it? You just need to trust your master. You need to trust the one that gave you a word. You need to trust the one that gave you a promise. And as you trust in him, you leave the details to God. So I want to encourage you to put your trust in the Lord and His, in His supernatural power. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.